Hey, everybody. It is Monica Perez. Happy to be back in the saddle. And thank you so much for being here. And thank you all for all the wonderful emails. And uh, I got so many responses on my Twitter thread telling people about my mom, who we said goodbye to on February 1st. It was very sad, but time heals wounds. And it was, you know, seeing someone with that kind of faith dying, I mean, it's a it's a really eye-opening experience. I mean, you can't help but share her vision of the joy that awaited her. And it's such a privilege to me that so many people cared about us and like just the connections that we've made through podcasting and Twitter. I know the evil empire has given us this technology, but I mean, all the prayers and connecting with so many good people, it's really has been uh, a humbling experience and a real privilege. So many thanks for all of that. Um, I am, so now that I'm not traveling so much to New York, I am hoping to do more of these news roundups. I really like it. It's a way to get me to want to read the news, which is not like uh, normally my favorite thing to do, but I do feel like we need to be informed and you can't just be uh, conditioned white, as they say, totally uninformed and unaware. So I'm going to keep doing this. And the way that I pay for some pretty high production value, I hope you like my new intro and the great music that JJ Boogie made for me and my producer Bobby put together that awesome opening sequence. So the way I pay for these things is through commercials, which are annoying. I realize that. So if you hate the commercials, you can do the premium feed on iTunes, which is now the Monica Perez show. Yay. I'm so happy. So WSB was very nice about that. And they're going to help me merge the feeds or I don't know what, get it down to one. But right now I am the Monica Perez show on iTunes and the premium feed will give you this show without any commercial interruptions. And you can also get it without commercial interruptions by listening live like you are right now, a lot of you here on YouTube and you get to participate by offering up comments, which at the bottom of the hour, I started a little late today, I'm a little rusty, but at the bottom of the hour, uh, I will get to a lot of your comments. But in the meanwhile, let's start the show. I'm gonna do it real radio style, here we go. Today's top stories all point to the same thing. As the new Cold War heats up, a new Iron Curtain is being drawn. The Monica Perez Show starts now. So I looked through the newspaper today and so many articles, so many stories just connect. And this vision I had, this idea I had a couple of years ago, maybe it's common now, but my idea was there there was for a long time this like kind of uh rule of thumb i guess the uh of the powers that be which i actually first heard on conversations with history with harvey chrysler if you guys remember that it was kind of like a pre-podcast podcast and he would talk to these super big wigs it was a berkeley professor and one of the guys said that there was no possibility until maybe now, maybe not, of having a singular worldwide 
hegemon. I guess maybe that's redundant, but he's like, you could have regional hegemons, you could have Germany and Europe and the United States and the Western Hemisphere, but there had never been a global hegemon. And I think after Russia fell and we basically tried to corrupt them and succeeded in many ways, I'm reading Warmonger by Jeremy Kuzmarov about the Clinton, um, what he did over there when the Iron Curtain fell, really shocking stuff. But as that happened, uh, we were like the the uni power, the world superpower. And I feel like for one reason or another, I guess, you know, we just didn't hobble Russia sufficiently or maybe treated them too poorly. But in their control of resources such as oil, like we discovered that we could not, you know, the Western, the powers that uh, reign in the West couldn't fully control the entire world. And as a result, I feel like what we're seeing now is a decision having been taken that they were going to divide the world up again in half. And I just released, re-released a series I did with Ian Davis on the multipolar world order. And I think that these are perhaps two, you know, I'm not going to say competing theories, but maybe they will work together in the end. I think maybe it's more likely that it comes down to how the power really works, that individuals and um, private institutions, corporations, entities, cabals, whatever, have a lot of, um, you know, they have their own interests. So when we think of it in terms of countries, that might not be as ideal a way. So it can be multipolar from the point of view of the power bases, while still feeling bipolar, <laughs> you know, uh, when it comes to the actual how it's divided by countries. So I feel like we're taking sides, we want to push Russia and China, obviously, to the other side. And we're doing a lot to not only make sure that there's an economic dividing line, but talk it up quite a bit. So I'm, I pulled a lot of quotes from the Wall Street Journal over the past couple of days that demonstrate that this is the image they want us to have of what's happening in the world. Uh, but I'm going to start with a story that maybe didn't, wasn't on anybody's radar. It's page A8 or 86 or something. And it's about Ecuador. And the reason I really focused on this is that yesterday, I also read a story at the heart of which was Ecuador. So I started peeling the onion on that and was like amazed at how much there was there to <laughs> make you cry. Anyway, so here's the headline. Ecuador agreed to help source arms for Ukraine. Then Russia rejected its bananas. And the subtitle was small countries choosing sides in the new Cold War face unpredictable risks. So they're just it's in your face. It's a new Cold War. But here was the weird thing about a couple of things that came out of this article. Uh, is that so Ecuador was having a deal with the U.S. where they were going to uh, give some old weaponry and get some new weaponry. And it all sounded very um kind of like a cash for clunkers. So let me read this to you. This is the first paragraph of that article, and then I'll tell you what I mean. President Daniel Noboa's government had agreed to ship old Russian-made equipment to America, which would then divert it to Ukraine forces fighting the Russian invaders and who were familiar with the old Soviet designs. In return, the U.S. would provide Ecuador with American-made gear it was seeking in its fight against powerful drug gangs. In those two sentences is the whole story, almost. So 
the idea that the Ecuador is going to give its old Russian arms to the U.S., who's literally going to ship it to Ukraine for Ukrainian fighters to use because they just feel more comfortable with 30-year-old plus equipment from Russia after we've been sending them our used stuff, which isn't even good enough. A lot of that is ending up on black markets over there. We're sending them more arms than they need. The excuse, the the dollar amounts are astronomical of the kind of money that we're sending over there. And I just simply do not believe this. Plus, Ecuador at one point said it's just scrap. It's nothing. So what I think they were doing, and this folds into some other articles that I hope to get to today, that what they were doing is looking on behalf of the defense industry, just looking for some excuse to buy more defense products with U.S. dollars. So the U.S. says, okay, we need this Ukrainian stuff and our ally Ecuador needs uh, weapons to use against their own people. So they have this story about drug cartels and I can get into that. But the first thing I thought was, oh, so they're using it for internal, (laughs) like whatever, violence. So they get all these clunkers and they exchange them for shiny new weapons, which, of course, escalates the level of weaponry in the world. And it gets uh, likely, it seemed pretty clear, U.S. tax dollars to continue to buy defense products, kind of like the way uh, the vaccines is it's a private it's a Private company makes vaccines. The U.S. government mandates it and subsidizes it. So the U.S. taxpayer pays for customers of the vaccine to buy the vaccine. So they don't even need to want it because when you're buying something that you don't actually pay for, you don't need or want it. Somebody's going to give it to you. You usually just take it, put it in your basement um, or put it in your arm if you're, you know, that vulnerable, that uh, impressionable. But anyway, so that's what I think is going on here. And uh it, it, uh, further down the article, it said that the U.S. was scouring the earth for such material. So just an excuse to trade old weapons for new weapons, which is what they're actually doing in Ukraine. And that uh, in with the U.S. just blowing off weapons there, which was the subject of another article from the journal from yesterday, which I'll get to. So uh, at one point, Naboa said that, quote, this is going forward no matter what. But then Russia stopped buying their bananas. Now, Russia said that they stopped buying the bananas because there were pests in the bananas. So that may be true, may not be true. Russia also asserted that what Ecuador was planning to do was uh, against the contract. So at one time, Russia and Ecuador had a contract. Russia gave Ecuador weapons. And in that contract, it says you are not allowed to transfer these weapons to anybody else for any reason. So this is a violation of that contract. And that's when Ecuador said, well, it's just scrap. And Russia said, no, it's not. We have a deal. Uh, Okay, so remember the part of the the bananas. All right, so why was I looking into Ecuador already before I saw this article? Well, I didn't think I would find Ecuador at the bottom of this rabbit hole. I keep hearing these stories about Chinese immigrants, like massive amounts of Chinese immigrants immigrants, illegal immigrants crossing the Mexican border and like holding up in San Diego and like 20 times as many as there were in uh, the year before, right? Something like that. And I thought, why are Chinese, you know what I mean? That that's not, you don't walk from China through Mexico up into the U.S. So obviously they're coming from somewhere. Where are they coming from? And of course, a surge like that 20 times to me, it 
it absolutely flags to me that there is a policy decision being made, whether legal or illegal, overt or covert, it's a policy decision because stuff like that just doesn't, isn't just a reflection of zeitgeist. Like Chinese people all of a sudden decided to like uh, go to Mexico and walk across the border. Well, it ends up, I found this article in CNN and is a huge, huge article way down the line. It says it's called The Walking Route and it starts in Ecuador because Ecuador does not require visas for Chinese people to visit there. So, and they have a whole industry in Ecuador designed to set people off, uh, Chinese people off on their walking route to the U.S. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, these are policies and situations that definitely betoken the government of Ecuador in cahoots on this uh, immigration uh, operation, which, of course, and I mean, it seems obvious to me, is a PSYOP. I mean, not like not really happening, but it's an operation that's being conducted by us. And I don't just think it's like Biden is bleeding hard and, you know, no control at the border. Like this is a real this is a big thing. And over time, I'm sure as I get back into the hang of, uh, you know, following this stuff blow by blow, I will will try to piece together what are all the agenda items behind this crazy immigration situation. But the fact is, they're coming up from Ch the Chinese people are coming across the Mexican border. It's not a, an accident. It's definitely part of this operation. And it originates in Ecuador. And uh, OK, so. I was already thinking, who's running Ecuador? Must be must be one of our guys. And then when I saw this other thing about them wanting to do cash for clunkers, I was like, uh, definitely one of our guys. Let's let's dig in. Oh my gosh, I nearly fell off my chair laughing when I hit the Wikipedia page for this guy, uh, Naboa. He was born in Miami. <laughs> so I could have just stopped right there, but it gets better. It gets better. He went to NYU Stern School of Business. He went to Northwestern for something. He went to Harvard to get a degree. And he went to George Washington University to get a degree. I mean, he could not have hit like more of the four corners of, you know, <laughs> of um, propaganda by industry. So I didn't even look at what his degrees were in. I don't even care. It's just, uh, you know, ridiculous. And he's one of the youngest leaders in the world today. And he's uh, the youngest Ecuadorian president ever. Not kidding. Not kidding. It goes on and on. The prior president was impeached and displaced in what was basically considered a coup in 2023. So remember, the Chinese migration issue is surging year over year by like 20 times. So this guy got has a bit, hasn't even been in Ecuador in the driver's seat for a year. So it coincides with that. Uh, so the president was ousted, and then they called a snap election. And this guy, Naboa, was hit polling at 3%. I mean, this is the Wikipedia numbers, 3%. And then by some big surprise in the main election, he gets 23%, which qualified him for a runoff in which he got 52%. And voila, he's president. And as it so happens, oh, by the way, his vice president is was described and I quote as an extreme libertarian slash conservative reactionary. I mean, are those not the hottest buzzwords ever <laughs> right now? And that Millie or whatever you call him from Argentina, uh, they were at his inauguration where they were buddy buddying with Zelensky and this and that. I mean, the whole thing is uh, farcical. 
Anyway, um, they're very pro, like, uh, you know, very, stand shoulder to shoulder with Israel about October 7th. They're very pro-Ukraine arms, which is why they were so psyched about the cash for clunkers. But here's the uh, funny thing is that this guy is the son of a banana billionaire, a banana billionaire. So the guy's the son of a billionaire. He gets in place and under ridiculous circumstances. Might as well be Rishi Sunak, how ridiculous the circumstances were. And uh, of course, when Russia pulls the plug on bananas, I think that's when this guy's loyalty has to shift slightly from the U.S. to his dad, whatever. But I don't, Russia started their bananas again. And I think this guy backed away from the cash for clunkers thing. That's like the latest information. So I guess whatever, they got to their uh, line. But but here's the thing. You might have heard of like this thing in Ecuador that happened recently where a drug cartel came into a TV studio and on camera with big guns and everything, scared the crap out of everybody. But then were rescued, you know, the, uh, the anchormen and stuff like that were rescued May, people may have gotten killed. I don't know. But like the thing seemed also farcical to me. Uh, and I feel like that's why, you know, if they want these guns, he wants these guns to control his own population, which he's saying is because of the cartels. But I question whether that cartel event was organic. Uh, he... He is, because of that snap election was for, I think, like just a stub term. He has to run again in 18 months, run or not run, depending, because they started toying with martial law after this big uh, TV cartel event. And uh, I had already been kind of set up to smell a rat because I saw that in December of 2023, he suggested, called for building two state-of-the-art mega prisons. and. I, you know, the more I, I study these events, the more I see it's not just about like world power, world politics. A lot of it is about just money. And I think that these narratives, the conspiracy narratives that are so often true, um, you know, give equal weight to more sinister motives. And I think in the end, the obvious like who benefits, where's the money is, you know, as important as anything else, if not the most important by far. But what he said was he wants to do those prisons. And then in January 2024, there's this big, you know, a month ago, there's this big prison break or a small prison break of a big guy, which may or may not have been related to that cartel thing, which happened on the same day. So there was a lot of panic. And, you know, the whole thing just it's very um, histrionic. It's very staged appearing to me. But the fact is looks very clear that this he's our guy and that there are psyops happen, happening around that which um uh you know just feed some of these narratives and then as i said there's like plenty of quotes in the wall street journal supporting this idea of the kind of bipolar world and it, this one is in this article, choosing sides in this new Cold War is especially difficult if one side or the other retaliates and the Russians are willing to play hardball, even in an area the U.S. considers its sphere of influence. So I feel strongly that like uh, or I, I should say I've noticed many times since Biden took office, he and Kamala Harris kind of citing that the the American states, North and South America are, you know, they're beefing up our, um, 
our approach to you know, our, our hegemonic role in the West as opposed to really being able to take over the world. We're going to go shoulder to shoulder. Maybe that's why they're expanding NATO so that we have that, you know, the trilat is the three lateral, you know, Europe, the Americas, Europe and Africa, the Americas and Asia. And I think, you know, the oceans are like the zippers. So NATO is the zipper, you know, with us and that other, the, you know, the European lateral, whatever. I need, I need to know my, how do you, how you convert words into different parts of speech. Anyway, so another thing that I think is a big part of this, not just being able to have control, and maybe the most important part of this is the idea that it's a, they're dividing up the market, like I said earlier. And uh, yesterday, the journal had a story that folds right into the Ecuador cash for clunkers thing, which is, here's the title, How War in Europe Boosts the U.S. Economy, European Rearmament and American Aid to Ukraine Flow Back to Defense Industrial Base. Like, they're saying the quiet part out loud. (laughs) I mean, when Egypt gets aid from America and Israel gets aid from America, a lot of times it just comes in the form of guns and then, or weapons, and the U.S. just pays the defense industry directly. It's nuts. I mean, they might as well just dump them in the ocean and write checks. They should. I wish they would. (laughs) I would rather them just burn the money. So the, but this also talks about dividing the world, how sanctions are used to promote U.S. industry, and all of the the three, what I always call the three big um, pillars of the military-industrial complex, big finance, big energy, and big defense, all play out in this article and in the bigger picture here. So here's an opening line from that article. Proponents of support for Ukraine usually invoke U.S. strategic interests or moral obligations. Lately, they are making a more calculating case. It is good for the economy. I mean, that's just disgusting. Uh, In the two years since Russia invaded Ukraine, the U.S. defense industry has experienced a boom in orders for weapons and munitions. Business is coming from European allies trying to build out their military capabilities, as well as from the Pentagon, which is both buying new equipment from defense manufacturers and replenishing military stocks depleted by deliveries to Ukraine. I mean, it's the tail wagging the dog. I mean, the... uh, Here, I'm going to keep going with a couple more quotes from that. Industrial production in the U.S. defense and space sector has increased 17.5% since Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine two years ago, according to Federal Reserve data. One of my first deep dives, I think maybe it was two years ago, maybe, I can't remember. Uh, It was, I just analyzed this article from, I think, 2019 on the Rand Corporation's website about how they were plotting to get Russia to invade Ukraine, doing things like threatening that Georgia or Ukraine would join NATO, trying to get Belarus on our side. And if they weren't, they would demonize them. I mean, it, it's an interesting one. It's worth going back to. It's just in my feed, easy enough to find. Um, it's probably like the second thing in my in my feed. And then another 
Quote, Biden administration officials say that of the $61 billion earmarked for Ukraine in a $95 billion supplemental defense bill. Remember when $60 billion was like an unbelievable total of all the money we had given Ukraine? And now it's just, you know, it's just another installment. The It says 64% will actually flow back to the U.S. defense industrial base. Like, this is, it's, it's shameful. Um... It reminds me of when I found out that food stamps were in the agriculture bill. So there was an, there was always, there probably still is like an agricultural subsidy bill. Farmers are powerful, lobby wise. And one of the things that's in it is food stamps. They want the U.S. taxpayer to give people who don't have enough money to buy all that crap, the money to buy all that crap. So there you go. And and you know what else I think is a, a part of this is when you hear there was a big dust up this week about Trump uh, shaming European countries, uh, members of NATO for not buying enough weapons. And I mean, he's obviously just supporting this whole this whole process of selling more weapons. But but it not only not only supports the defense industry, but who finances it. There was another place in this article where it said, uh, Poland is in line to get a bunch of our, you know, defense sales stuff. And we've got Poland under our thumb, you've noticed recently. Quote, Poland's annual military budget is about $16 billion. So it isn't clear how the country can pay for $30 billion of new weapons orders anytime soon. Sister, 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 sister. Debt? Could it be debt? <laughs> so they're just taking it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that I think this is funny. Uh, it's not funny. I've cried enough lately. I just think it's funny that it's so ridiculous. And if we don't laugh, we're all going to be crying. So um, here again, another quote about dividing the world. This is from this same article. Uh, as opposed to the Ecuadorian articles that had similar quotes, the boost to the U.S. defense industry is just one way the fragmentation of the world economy along geopolitical lines is tightening U.S.-European relations, often to the benefit of the U.S. Well, well, I'll be. Who could have seen that coming? Okay. Oh, and another item that was uh, heavily weighted in this article is about liquefied natural gas. And I did many years ago do a stint in the Petroleum Metals and Mining Group at Citibank. And it was a long, long time ago. It's totally restructured a thousand times by then. But I remember, and I've mentioned this before, working on an LNG company, liquefied natural gas, and that stuff is dangerous dangerous. It's super highly compressed. So if a drop of it, of that liquid gets like, for example, between the hulls, it's a double-hulled ship. And this has happened. It expands and it expands rapidly to the point where it's basically an explosion. And I think it was Nigeria or some African port where one of those things blew up. Wow. And uh, it's just dangerous. And Europe so many pipelines were heading to Europe from Russia through, I don't know if the pipelines were through Ukraine. It was definitely Nord Stream, Sud Stream, the South Stream. That I think is why it, Ukraine and Syria were the big targets because they were the ones we were trying to get. You know, the whole overthrow of the Ukraine government was about a gas deal between Russia and Ukraine. 
And the same thing about the Syria thing. I think that they decided it was go time against Syria when they did not submit to our desire for them to allow Qatar to build a gas pipeline through there. I'm a little rusty on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what was going on. And this Europe, the the Eurasian continent has more than enough gas for the Eurasian people, or at least for Europe, according to what their plans had been. And we are interrupting that hardcore. And it's not because of Russia's invasion. Because I remember Hillary talking about it in 2016, that people need to boycott Russian oil. Europe needs to not get Russian gas, I mean, gas. And it was in the wake of our coup against Ukraine, but it had nothing to do with Russian aggression. They were trying to trump that up, trying to provoke it. But it was, we were the only aggressors at that point. Uh, The whole Crimea story, notwithstanding, you can go to my website, monicaparezshow.com and read about that. I wrote about it extensively back then. But my point is that it is really immoral for us to create these geopolitical um, circumstances, conditions under which a very expensive and inefficient and dangerous way of getting gas to Europe by liquefying natural gas here and shipping it over there. It's outrageous. And our LNG has gone through the roof since then. And I'm, I, I haven't I didn't find it. Uh, expressly about if the European countries are expected to subsidize the ports that receive this LNG. But it's absolutely outrageous, in my opinion. Uh, Let me read some quotes about this. The cutoff of Russian gas supply sent energy prices and inflation up sharply in Europe while boosting European demand for U.S. liquefied natural gas. Uh, You know, another thing If you've ever been to Eastern Europe or heard reports out of Ukraine, um, I'm not sure if it's all of Europe or just Eastern and Central Europe, their heating costs are tremendous. Like they're a large percentage, like 25% of their monthly expenses. I mean, it's really extreme. And that is another reason I consider this to be totally immoral and, and really taking advantage of the people. All right, the U.S. became the world's largest LNG exporter last year. And its LNG exports are expected to almost double by 2030 on already approved projects, around two thirds of them going to Europe. About 20% of the global LNG supply travels through the Strait of Hormuz. Oh my gosh. I have so much to talk about today. I want to talk about the Hootie stuff too. Um, Biden just signed something that would interrupt some LNG permits. I do not think that that's really going to make a significant impact. I don't really want to talk about it too much right now, but. I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, Oh, the last thing about the whole economic war thing and the defense spending is a little uh, tidbit from the end of this article. The Biden administration sees benefits from what's happening with Ukraine. Military experts are concerned that decades of deindustrialization and military downsizing have left the defense industrial base unable to deliver the weapons and munitions necessary for a more dangerous world. Many weapon systems orders are backlogged for years. Well, they are creating that dangerous world. Uh, and another defense strategist, Cynthia Cook, says that what Russia's war pointed out relatively quickly is the constraints in the U.S. defense industrial base, especially in terms of surging production rapidly. The good news is that this lesson has been learned when the U.S. is not directly at war. It reminds me of Event 201 saying that we need a pandemic to convince the world that we need vaccine stockpiles. You know, they, the next tier after the military industrial complex, like energy, finance, and um, 
defense are big ag, big pharma, and big tech. So they all play from the same playbook. All right. I need to breathe. So I'm going to take a quick break and see if we can't hit some comments. Uh, okay. Semi Collegiate says, um, Oh, people are super sweet. Hi, Sonia. Thank you. Hi, Monica. Missed you. Hugs from here. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go back a little bit. Uh, many, many nice um, comments from people. It's been a while. Uh, and Nate wants to know if I've been keeping track of Tiffany Henyard in Dalton, Illinois. I have not. Uh, yes, Angus says he does not think Russia wanted to be corrupted by the West. I agree with you. I, I recommend this warmonger book by Jeremy Kuzmarov. I'm going to talk to him about that soon. Um, Nicholas says that the Ian Davis three-part highlight series was excellent content. I really enjoyed it. Yes, so while I was out of pocket for a few weeks, um, my producer Bobby put together some like condensed versions of some of my shows with Ian Davis, and they're quite excellent. They're in my most recent shows on the Monica Perez feed. Ooh, Angus spent a month in Ecuador one week. <laughs> I guess it's slow moving. Yes, the weapons from Afghanistan maybe went to Ukraine. There's just a huge black market for weapons, and it makes the world a more dangerous place. And I would say we're the source of, like, almost all, if not all, the advanced weaponry. If we would just stop, I think anyone who sells weapons to the United States should not be permitted to sell weapons to any other country. And the United States should ban it, not promote it. Ah, it is all subsidized with our tax money. That is true. Back in the 1990s, there was a titillating story for years about Chicom sending AK-47s to Mexico for no reason. Well, I remember the whole Operation Fast and Furious where we were sending the weapons to Mexico. Here I am, Slava, says Putin regime murdered Navalny. Reagan was right. Russia is the evil empire. I did not have time to crack the code on the Navalny story, though I wanted to, and uh, I will have to get to it. Michael says, great to hear you, Monica. Nice new logo. Yes, I love my new logo. I love purple. I didn't even realize purple was like the neutral political color, but I just love it. And it's purple and green, which are the Mardi Gras colors. I think they have like liturgical significance as well. I don't know. But I was just indulging my nostalgia for film noir and uh, just wanted to have something a little less political. Semi Collegiate says they might be spending or managing QE inflation money that hasn't been spent yet. You know, the way the money works is really probably has an, an, a bigger impact than actually the money incentive. And I'm doing my next show at 4.15 today, Pacific, with Jason, giving us an update on the economy and interest rate outlook. War is good at completely wasting money. There's a lot of inflation money that could be eliminated by waste. Uh, Sonia loves the show. If you don't like it, go watch something else. I totally agree. All are welcome, but none are forced. Oh my gosh, Angus says, how many of our political elites do you think are invested in LNG companies? I do not know, but I am pretty sure that actual politicians do not have to live up to the same standards as regular people when it comes to insider trading. And as a matter of fact, I saw an article in the journal today about somebody who was working at a company that was involved in a deal in their industry with Pfizer and 
did and bought some stock in a competitor knowing how his deal was going to affect the market. And he's being charged with insider trading called shadow trading, which there isn't even a law against it. I can understand how it affects the world, but I mean, that's actually how people hedge their own stock positions sometimes. And I guess at a big enough scale, it can move the markets. But I actually don't think insider trading should be illegal. I think by calling it illegal, you people don't realize it exists. They don't realize that it's a rigged game. If you didn't call it illegal, they would proceed with caution and we'd probably have a lot less robust stock market and their more foolproof uh, protections would emerge. That's what I think. Anyway, okay. So let me get to... Okay, so here's Semi-Collegiate Explained. Sci-fi books often like a future where the East and West combine to rule the world. Uh, yes, probably against a always need a common enemy, which is where the aliens may come in. All right. <clears throat> oh, yes, I love that. I love that uh, Norman Dodd interview with G. Edward Griffin about, um, well, it was a really, I remember the most salient thing was about the Carnegie Institute plotting World War I, <laughs> our involvement in it anyway. All right, guys, thank you so much. That was super fun to have a little um, commentary interlude. And now I am going to go to the, the hoodie stuff. I just, I did want to give a hat tip, a hat tip, a very sad, I'm sorry for you, hat tip to Martine Moise, who was the uh, wife of the Haitian president Moise, who was assassinated shortly after Biden took office. He had uncovered a coup attempt against him by the U.S., which I think may have hearkened back to the kind of Clinton, Obama, Biden era. So uh, I personally think it was U.S. led. His wife was there with him. He was killed in his own bedroom and she was very seriously injured. She's been on the run because who knows what the heck is going on in Haiti. And it was just uh, revealed that she was being charged as being an accomplice in his murder, which to me is absolutely ridiculous. And it also uh, calls to mind the Franklin cover-up where whistleblowers get arrested. And she, uh, you know, my guess is that they're just trying to, to flush her out. Probably, I mean, to assassinate her too. I hope not. Uh, we could say a little prayer for her, and I hope she stays hidden. There's no, I have no suspicion whatsoever that she was involved in that. They said she was aware of a plot to kill her husband. I'm like, yes, so was he. He took a lot of precautions. He knew it was coming. Terrible, really shameful. Uh, and there was, there's actually an FBI informant for 10 years reported to his FBI guy every single day. He recently came out, uh, or he uh, came out a short time ago saying that, Biden and Hunter both got $5 million from Burisma as bribes. And all of a sudden he's being arrested, detained. He's totally unreliable, yada, yada. So they do like to nail those whistleblowers to a tree, like a warning to other whistleblowers. But the, the only last thing I will say, uh, the little last story I will cover, there's a bunch of stuff going on in the Middle East right now. Obviously, uh, the Israeli just leveling of Gaza. I think the October 7th death toll of uh, the event that Israel calls it's 9-11, I think unironically is their point. 1,200 people, they've since killed 29,000 in Gaza, absolutely leveling it. I mean, you can, even, even the, both sides of the press cannot deny what's happening there. But what was in the news today is that Israel is establishing a road, 
an east-west road that divides north and south. Okay, so that's one little piece of information. The next thing is that we continue to pummel Yemen and the Houthi rebels, and they, which feeds into their aggression. This Haiti and Yemen are two of, if not the two poorest countries in the world. Like the idea that they're out there trying to, they're using all their resources to get Israel to stop bombing Palestine feels like there's there's probably more to this story. And even in the Wall Street Journal article online, it said that that the that that Biden's approach of just pummeling them is probably making the situation worse. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other stuff going on, but in Iraq and Syria and uh, other violence emerging, and I feel like this this war over there is just going to expand. Biden's going to expand it, and whoever takes his place, or maybe him, but anybody who takes his place is going to inherit a war. And when you inherit a war, your tagline's going to be, I didn't start this war, I wouldn't start this war, I was against this war, but now I have this war, and I'm going to win this war. That just, what to watch out for there. But the reason the Houthi thing um, ties in with the Gaza thing is that Ben-Gurion Canal, which had to have to... Some of you listeners, was it Mayor Kate or some other people? And I think Charlie Robinson did a lot on it at the very beginning of this Gaza thing. This is a decades long plan to kind of bypass the Straits of Hormuz or the Suez Canal or whatever to have Israel control a passage point from east to west, which would really change the balance of power in the world. And I'm wondering if that road that they're building in Gaza right now is basically the blueprint for a piece of that Ben-Gurion Canal. I mean, that is definitely a story that we're going to be following that's definitely worth digging into. Uh, and, And then I start thinking about all the little pieces of propaganda and events, propaganda of the deed that will contribute to the narrative that this needs to happen. And one of them was, I wondered what that ever given ship that was grounded in the Suez Canal and all the other things that stopped up the global supply chain through shipping. I wouldn't be surprised if absolutely all of that is all along with what's happening now in the Middle East has been a very long-term plan to justify building that canal at all costs because the cost will be quite high. Anyway, I have so much more stuff I wanted to talk about because I've been gone for so long. Uh, Anyway, hopefully keep this going. Um, If remember, if you don't like the commercials, please sign up for just you can just click through on iTunes. I'll I'll figure out ways to do it elsewhere. Uh, But you can avoid the commercials on iTunes if you hit the uh, subscribe to the premium feed. And even if you don't, it helps me a lot if you just rate the show now, the new Monica Perez show. So thanks so much, guys. Let's see if I've got an outro here. Let's see. I really like the new music. I love the new music, actually. All right, here we go. Bye, everybody.